Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Joel, the second chapter. Joel, the second chapter. And we got down to verse 18. We finished with verse 18. And beginning with verse 18, we see a great change. In verses 19 through 27, we see the promises of restoration. And he's talking about the restoration of Israel. Promises of restoration. And that takes us down to verse 27. In verse 27, I mean 28 through 31, the overpowering, or the outpouring, I should say, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. So let's begin to look at verse 18 again. We we read it and discussed it quite a bit, but we'll pick up with that verse. It says, uh, Then will the Lord be jealous for His land and pity for His people. And we said already that here's the change that will take place when they uh, repent of their sins and turn to God. Then verses 19, as we said through 27, is promises of restoration. It says, Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto His people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. So this is a promise of restoration that will be complete and total. Now, some have taken that to mean that... uh, in their restoration in the Old Testament from Babylonian captivity or other captivities that they were in, Assyrian, but especially Babylon, that uh, it was fulfilled in that way. But this word, no more, look, I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. We know that they've been a reproach for many, many uh, hundreds or even thousands of years since then, since that Babylonian captivity in the Old Testament. So the full restoration and the promise of restoration was not fulfilled in the Old Testament. And these promises of restoration, He will literally bless the land and uh, make it fruitful. And He says, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith. You know, it's very foolish to spiritualize these things when God is talking about literal fruitfulness for His land. And yet we find many commentators, and if you will, I'll give you a hint as to how they do uh, interpret this and spiritualize it. You know, sometimes those who tell, who, do, who tell spiritualized things tell spiritual lies at the same time. So don't think that everything will stand the test of just being given it a spiritual uh, application when it's talking about a literal, actual fact of, of the land that will be blessed with corn and wine and fruitfulness. For Israel, and that's what he's talking about, basically. If you take that basic meaning out of it, I'm not saying that some things cannot be uh, given a spiritual uh, meaning, but only when the Scripture justifies it to be so. We know that when we study the tabernacle, we find that uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, even concerning the tabernacle in Exodus and Deuteronomy and all through the Pentateuch, that we find that in Psalms it tells us that every whit of that tabernacle uttereth his glory, speaks of him. And so you have a reason to make uh, applications of a spiritual nature from those things because there's more than one, more than that one thing that gives you the right to do that. But uh, some have said that this corn represents the body of Christ and the wine, the blood of Christ and the oil, the Holy Spirit. Well, we know these things do represent and are Uh, typical many times of those things. But on the other hand, 
in this context, it's talking about a literal blessing upon the land of Israel in a future promised restoration of those people. So, be careful what you do when you try to give everything, uh, make everything stand on its own two feet, so to speak. You know, there's like over in the parables in the New Testament that Jesus gave. Usually there was one main lesson that he was teaching by a parable. And when someone comes along and, and they try to make every portion of that parable uh, stand for a doctrinal meaning and build a doctrine, out of it, then you're getting in a dangerous situation. And uh, there are so many parables like that. We could go into them. We won't have time. But, uh, you know, the uh, parable of the ten virgins, for instance, in Matthew 25, where it says five were foolish and five were wise. The main lesson is five were not prepared and five were prepared. And some say, well, those five uh, that uh, took no all with them in their lamps, it says a lot of people say, well, they had all to begin with. Because they had lamps, and uh, so therefore uh, they had lost their salvation. Well, you see, if you build a doctrine or a teaching upon something that means just a particular thing and try to make it stand on all fours, well, then you're going to get in trouble. And nearly all the parables teach one main lesson. So be very careful when you're studying the parables uh, for that reason. Like the rich man in his barns. You remember the story that Jesus gave about that? And he says... Uh, uh, take heed and beware of covetous, covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then he goes on to say, there was a certain rich man, and he tells that this rich man was covetous, and he was just teaching the lesson of covetousness. We know a lot of implications go along there, that the man was foolish in leaving God out of his plans and so on. And I don't mean that you leave out the the facts of it, but the main lesson was uh, Jesus got through he, at the end of it. He says, so is everyone that is, that is covetous, that keeps everything to himself, and is not rich toward God. So the main lesson was that the man was covetous. And in doing so, he left God and other folks as well out of his plans. All right, back to this in uh, Joel chapter 2. He says in, in verse 19, the last part of it, Behold, I will send uh, you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more... Make your reproach among the heathen. Now, we know that that has not been literally fulfilled as far as uh, Israel is concerned because they have still been a reproach throughout the years and uh, throughout the centuries. In verse 20, But I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into a land barren and desolate with his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea and his stink shall come up and... His ill savor shall come up because he had done great things. Now then, if you tie that in with the prophecies of other uh, of the minor prophets, as well as uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, some of the major prophets, you'll find that there is a future uh, northern army that's going to come against the land in the last days. But what we're talking about here is that these earthly blessings that we just mentioned in verse 19 are for his earthly people. Earthly blessings for earthly people. And it doesn't apply to something that's happened in the church in this day and age, but uh, something that will happen to them in a future age. Verse 21. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Then he says, Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field. Now remember in the last chapter he said the beast will mourn and the land will mourn and, and uh, in, in the first chapter. 
Remember when we were talking about it? In verse uh, 19 and 20, well, verse 18 uh, of the first chapter, How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of the sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to Thee will I cry, for the, for the fire devoureth the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto Thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and so on. And that was a desolation that came in Joel's day, and it's tempted. It's symbolical of, of the great uh, time that there will be uh, a future des- desolation. And uh, so God promises a restoration. Verse 22, chapter 222. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, <clears throat> for the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. So this, uh, all this desolation that was spoken of in Joel's day, there was a restoration of the people in that day. But you can see by the words no more, a reproach, and certain future things here, that it's talking about a future restoration. So in verse 20 it says, uh, verse 23 rather, Be glad then, ye children of Zion. Now that's not talking about the church. A lot of people have made that mean the church. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for He hath given you the former... Rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. Here's another uh, scripture that has been spiritualized to an extent that's out of its context. And when we read down uh, in a little bit, we'll find out that the uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit is spoken of. And some have taken this former rain and latter rain to mean uh, the... uh, Blessings that came on the day of Pentecost and they will continue uh, to the end of the age during this Christian age in the same fashion. And we'll get more of that when we get down to the outpouring in the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. Verse 24, And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. Now, he calls it his great army in the Old Testament, those, uh, this plague of locusts. In the four stages that we gave you earlier, remember we gave you the four stages of the locusts in the first chapter. And all of these, the palmer worm, the locust, and the canker worm and the caterpillar are four stages of the same insect. And you can go back and see each one and what it does is in its particular stage and how destruction came upon the land in the first chapter. But God says here He will restore it. He will restore their fruitfulness because of the fact that it had been desolated. The land had been desolated. And ye shall eat plenty, look, eat in plenty and be satisfied. That's verse 26. And praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. The word ashamed means not only ashamed in the sense we think of shame, but disappointed or disillusioned. They'll never be uh, put to disappointment. In fact, if you have, let's see, I believe you'll find it in the book of Isaiah, chapter uh, 28 probably. Let's see if it's 28. 
and verse 16. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a tried stone. We know it's speaking of Christ. Laid in Zion, laid in Jerusalem. A tried stone, a, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Now, look look this last statement. He that believeth shall not make haste. He that believeth shall not be ashamed. He that believeth shall not be confounded. And all three of these words are these meanings are given to them in the to this one thought in the New Testament. Here it says, He that believeth shall not make haste. And it really means that the person that comes to God through Christ for salvation, he'll never be confounded. He'll not have to haste away to flee away for any other means of salvation. That no enemy shall uh, harm him, that he shall never be disappointed. In fact, Romans 10 verse 11 says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Romans 10 11. And 1 Peter 2 6 says, says, shall not be confounded. So all of these thoughts come from this one meaning. And that's why in our text that we're talking about in Joel chapter 2, it says in verse 26, And you shall eat in plenty and be, and shall be, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. He says it again, verse 27, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, now, he's talking about the church or Israel. I believe when it says Israel, it means Israel. And that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. Now then, verse 28 takes in another time element. And here it has to do with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And we'll talk about how the day of Pentecost relates to this. And yet, it's not a fulfillment completely of it. Let's read the whole passage down through Verse 32, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Verse 28 through 32, the last section of this second chapter. And I believe the last section of this chapter has been greatly misunderstood and misapplied in in a lot of ways. Notice, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. After what? After this restoration of Israel. Afterward, we know in the time of Jesus and the days of the apostle that restoration hadn't taken place because in Acts chapter 1 they said, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Remember? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time or the season which the Father hath put in his own power. But he said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and empower you so to speak, and you'll be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But we'll get into that because here's where the, the difference comes. If you'll notice what Joel says, and pay much attention to it, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show... Now look, verse 29. Now notice the difference of what it takes on in verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Remember we studied the day of the Lord in the... Earlier part of our lesson, last lesson or two, and it's a great and terrible day, a day of darkness, a day of, uh, of uh, sorrow, a day of weeping, a day of mourning, a day of lamentation. And all the Old Testament prophets bear it out that the day of the Lord, there's going to be some days we'll study. Man's day and the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. There's man's day. That's now. The day of Christ is another day. And the day of the Lord has to do with the end time. 
days. Uh, notice, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And that's true even today, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. The remnant. The remnant that will be restored in the tribulation period. Way later on, even past this time, there will be a fulfilling of these things. And I want you to read now the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you will. Let's turn there. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. Beginning with verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Pentecost simply means 50. 50 days after. After what? Christ's death and burial and resurrection. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a sound as of a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. They were waiting for this promise of the Father. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. By the way, not unknown tongues, is it? Doesn't it say other? Other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. Because that every man heard them speak in his own what language? What is a tongue but a language? In his own language. Now, by the way, the miracle of Pentecost was not in the speaking with other tongues. The miracle was that they heard. Peter was speaking and they heard. Notice the word. It says, every, because that every man heard them speak in his own tongue. So the miracle was not in the tongue, it was in the ear. It was in the hearing of it, of the wonderful works of God. Now, you know, when you get down into the Scripture, a lot of things that you've heard all your life, you can put to the test. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? They spoke in one language. And how, look at it, verse 8, how hear we, notice, hear, how hear we ever a man in our own tongue wherein we were born? They're all speaking. All these that speak are Galileans. And how hear we ever man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parathians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear... Them speak in our tongues. Now, what were they speaking? They knew what they were speaking to. The wonderful works of God. What are the wonderful works of God that had just happened so that it was fresh on their mind? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The gospel was being preached to them so that all of them would hear it on the day of Pentecost. Now, let's go on down. It says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, uh, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, now look, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell uh, at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it as was the third hour of the day. They hadn't had time to get drunk yet. Too early in the morning to be that fully drunk. Of course, I guess some could if they drank all night. But anyway, see it's the third hour of the day. But this is, now I want you to notice what he says about the prophet Joel. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men 
shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood. Look, before that great and notable day of the Lord comes. Now, what did he say? In the New Testament, now I want you to drop back to verse uh, uh, 16. He says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that. This is like that. He doesn't say, as in most places in the New Testament, when you find a scripture referred to the Old Testament, it says, then it was fulfilled which was spoken. It doesn't say fulfilled, does it? It says, this is that. It's like what prophet Joel spoke of. And he quotes Joel, and he even quotes those Things that Joel said that would happen before the great and uh, terrible, notable day of the Lord come. And he refers to the day of the Lord, which we've already found in the Old Testament, is not a day when God pours out His blessings in this sense uh, where there will be joy all around, but there's going to be uh, the day of the Lord that will include what? A day this terrible and day of darkness and a day of judgment. And that didn't happen then, did it? All that happened then was the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church on the day of Pentecost. And you have to realize that most of the time, nearly every time you find a reference, let's see. I'll give you one uh, look in Luke's Gospel. We're talking about fulfillment of prophecy. And a lot of people say that that was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And that prophecy was just beginning to be fulfilled, and it would be carried out. This same, these same signs and these same things would be carried out throughout the uh, uh, Christian age, which there's no indication, there's no scripture to back up the fact or the thought that it would be carried out, these same things, throughout the Christian age. Now, if you turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, I want to give you something, and I've been through it before, and you know that when a scripture is fulfilled, it's fulfilled. That's, it's full. That's the end of it. I want you to notice in Jesus' first message that he preached, in verse 16, follow this down carefully, word for word. It's very important. And he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. Isaiah is the uh, Greek equivalent to the Hebrew Isaiah of the Old Testament. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. By the way, it wasn't as easy as you and I find it, because they were all, it's just a book. He found the place where this particular part of Isaiah was written. I believe it's chapter, what, 61? Uh, verse 1 and 2. 61, verse 1 and 2. And I want to give you something very important now. Please follow me. So, he found the place where it was written. And what did he find? He says, in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now look. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture what? He doesn't say this is like what Isaiah spoke of, does he? This is that. Look. Look at the verse. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. This day is this scripture, this scripture, fulfilled in your ears. It was fulfilled. What Jesus quoted was fulfilled. That was all of it. I want to show you something very important. Notice, in verse 19, he says, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. 
Stop there. Period. Now then, turn back to Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah 61. I want you to notice something. Verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. You have it? Because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel, preach the good tidings, and it says the gospel in the New Testament, unto the meek, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Look at this second verse. And the day of vengeance of our God. That was future from the time of Christ. Had he, had he read that part, and to comfort all that are mourned, to point them in Zion, uh, and so on and so forth. If he had continued, he had included future events that would happen for him to say this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So that's why he stopped with verse uh, 2 there to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus didn't say, and the day of vengeance of our God, because he was going to point out that this message that he had, that this day it was fulfilled in your ears. And he couldn't say that if the day of vengeance was in the future. So he stopped at exactly the right place to say what he said about the fulfillment of Scripture. And that's why in the book of Acts, when you read what Peter says, he says, he doesn't say, this is fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Joel, but this is that. This is the same power, the same Spirit, this is like what Joel is talking about. And he didn't say it was fulfilled. And he goes on to quote the rest of Joel there to show us that the great and notable day of the Lord will come when the sun will be, uh, there will be signs and wonders in heaven and signs in the earth and blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. And you find that happening over in the book of Revelation. So it was not fulfilled. Turn back to Joel now and we'll try to give you a few more comments on it. So the day of Pentecost is not a fulfillment. It is only like what will be fulfilled in the future. And that's why uh, the Holy Spirit is very careful for Peter to choose the word, this is that. Instead of saying, this is fulfilled, the, the book of Joel, what he quoted was from Joel, is fulfilled. He didn't say it's fulfilled, did he? By the way, you know when I gave you in Hosea, where it says, uh, Israel is my firstborn son. And he says, I have called my son out of Egypt. And we referred back to when God called Israel out of Egypt in the fourth chapter of Exodus. He says, Israel is my firstborn. Then we come over and where Jesus was fled into Egypt. And then he was called back out of Egypt. And he says there in, in the book of Matthew chapter 2, it says, Then it was fulfilled. What Hosea said referred back to Israel's old deliverance and from Egypt. But it also referred to Jesus being delivered out of... Let me read it for you. Acts, I mean, uh, Matthew chapter 2. Look at this one. Matthew chapter 2. But then it says there, it was fulfilled out of Egypt have I called my son. Look in Acts. I mean, Matthew 2. I keep saying Acts. Matthew 2. They fled into Egypt in verse 13. Be there till I bring the word again. Last part of verse 13. For head will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod that it might look, that it might be what? Fulfilled. Which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. See how that prophecy of Hosea 11 verse 1 referred not only to Israel's deliverance of old historically, but the Lord's deliverance from Egypt. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. That's the only place you find it. Hosea 11 verse 1. And it was fulfilled, because this was his only begotten son. Israel was his son in Egypt. And he called them out of Egypt, right? In the Old Testament. 
But Hosea said, when he said that out of Egypt have I called my son, and Matthew refers to that as a prophecy of Christ being called out of Egypt, and not only the son Israel, but the, the son of God being called out of Egypt, and it was fulfilled. It wasn't fulfilled back there. You have to be very careful about words in the Bible. Because they mean what they say. And it says back in Joel now, the book of Joel. Now we said in verse 28, shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Peter says it's like that. So he came on the day of Pentecost, was poured out. But this is not repeated during this day and age of grace and during the Christian age. Someone says, we're looking for another Pentecost. Well, you better wait for a while because it's only the time. Pentecost has only happened once. The fulfillment of Joel's prophecy will be in the future. And it will be uh, fulfilled of what Joel said. But Pentecost is past and gone. And there's a lot of people of the charismatic groups that say, well, we're, we're expecting another Pentecost during this day and age of grace. Listen, the Bible bears out this truth, that wicked men and seducers shall whack worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And this age, this Christian age, is going to end in apostasy, not in this continued blessing of the Holy Spirit and this, that early and latter rain that they referred to trying to spiritualize that. Is it getting any better, do you think? I don't think so. With all the Christ, with all the preaching and teaching of the Word, with all of God's blessings upon His children in this day and age, we still have wickedness on, on, on every hand. Instead of getting better, it's getting worse. And we're going to fight this battle until the Lord comes. And it's going to be worse and worse all the time. And then that time that Joel's prophecy will be fulfilled when these re- restored blessings, which it was like that day, of God's blessings upon the church early, the day of Pentecost. He, he came on that day and was poured out, but it's not repeated during this day and age of grace. And Peter, in, on the day of Pentecost, did not identify the events. He identified the power that, was, that Joel had spoken of in pouring out the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost was a sample of what, was, uh, what Joel foretold. It was a sample of it, but it was not the fulfillment of it. But how many times have you heard that it's fulfilled and it's going to continue from that day of Pentecost throughout this day and age? And, you know, you have groups now that, that are teaching that uh, God is going to do all these wonders and wonders during this Christian age. I'll tell you what, it's going to be a battle from here on. Is what the Scripture bears out. And you can fall for some of that if you want to, but it's not, it's not going to be that way. It's going to get worse and worse till Jesus comes. And we're, thank God we're going to be taken out of it when it gets too bad, before it gets too bad. And then the time will come during the tribulation period and that Joel is speaking of when Israel is restored and when these blessings are poured out. And you can read of them in the book of Revelation. We'll get to them as we progress in Joel. We find that it speaks of a future time. And what will be the result? It will be salvation. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. They'll be delivered then, just like even during this day and age of grace. That's one thing that does exist today and has existed even before the day of Pentecost. With anyone that would repent and turn to Christ would be saved. Jesus in the Gospels, before that ever happened, said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll save you. And he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
So the continued part is that salvation is still open to Jews and Gentiles. And so that's reinstated, what Joel said here. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. But now when he's talking about it here in verse 32, you have your eyes on Joel 2.32. He says, For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be delivered, says the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Well, there's more than a remnant that's called during this day and age of grace. All who will receive the gospel are saved. So you can see it has a future time of restoration, doesn't it? And that's exactly what Joel is talking about here. And deliverance in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem will come during that time that we speak of Israel's restoration.